It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Give me the flaccid dawn with plenty of tailing fish. And the perfect fly rod. Yeah. And get ready for some magic. What an awesome piece! Man. I got one! Oh, damn, I got him, you got it. I got him. Join Bonefish and Tarpon Trust. Nice fish. And help make sure that the magic never ends. Visit tarbone.org to find out how you can help. that beer pour, you know that it is time for another edition of Kayak Fishing Radio. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Charles Levi, also known as Redfish Chuck. My illustrious co-host, Captain Alex Gritchby, will be joining us shortly. We are, however, joined right now live from Hotlanta. Is it hot? That's the question. James Page. James Page. James, are you there? Northside represent. <laughs> it took a minute. I was on mute. I figured as much. How are you, sir? It's good, but it is hot and hot. <laughs> okay. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> It's hot? Yes. It's July. Uh, Yeah, well, we had a heat index today of 105. So there's that. Yeah. There were some places in middle Georgia that had a heat heat index in 100, you know, 100, 101. You know, because middle Georgia gets hot. It's kind of like Ocala. You know, the middle of the state gets so hot in Florida. The middle of Georgia gets really hot, especially down through right. Valdosta, making Valdosta over towards the swamp, the Kentucky swamp, all those pine forests. And there's, you know, there's no breeze. It's not good. Stagnant, hot, nasty July air. Yep, <clears throat> I think Ocala is the worst. So I think, I think Ocala is the hottest spot in the world. 
Yeah, it it truly is. It sucks up there. I don't know why anybody would want to live there, but unless you've got a bunch of horses and you breed horses or something, maybe I don't know what the deal is with that either. But anyway, uh, so obviously it's not Tuesday night; it's a Wednesday night, and we kind of bounced the night around this week. Um, Captain Alice had some stuff going on yesterday as well as I did, and or I guess I should say I did as well, and. Uh, so here we are. It's a Wednesday, and uh, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into something real quick before Alex gives us the call. We talk about the mullet run. Um, I, I think I've come to a realization. I think I've come to a realization yeah, that, that I'm <laughs> yeah that uh, I'm I'm not I'm not really a big fan of at the moment of the kayak fishing world. Uh-oh. And why is that, Chuck? What did I just... Well, <laughs> has nothing... Honestly, God, it has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that I'm in the middle of building, in my opinion, the baddest technical micro-skiff ever to see water. But um, it has everything to do with the fact that, you know, ICAST was just last week, and... Uh, the amount of negativity that I that I read and I saw, and the blatant disrespect for manufacturers that I saw from the show, um, is the exact reason why I feel like ICAST itself has to do a better job at vetting people and allowing people to film only if film and post only if they are media credentials, which used to be the thing. Back in the day at ICAST, if, if you were on the floor and they saw you with the camera or video camera and you weren't media credentialed, they'd throw you out. Because they don't, the idea is for the media people, uh, magazines, TV, whatever, to be able to share with the world, you know, the new things, so to speak. And it's not even right. really that because all the stuff gets leaked prior to. But now what, what it's become now is everybody with an Instagram account that's got a few thousand followers ends up getting into the show because they've got some sort of connection. And then they feel like their opinion is so important that they have to share it with the world. And this particular ICAST was the absolute worst that I had ever seen in people going above and beyond what they should do and literally disrespecting manufacturers' products at the show. At the show. Would, I'll give would you, you a good example. That the I'm most, not, go would you not consider that the most pathetic thing you've ever seen? It is. It truly is. And here's the thing. I'll give you an example. I'm not going to mention the, the guy's name because it doesn't. I don't have to. Those of you that saw the video, you guys will probably know exactly who I'm talking about. And I'm not, you know, like I said, I'm not throwing anybody's name out underneath the bus. But listen, when you're wearing a manufacturer's polo shirt and you're standing in the booth of a competitor of a of a competitor's product and you're virtually disrespecting the product while you're standing in the booth videotaping yourself to the world talking about how, you know, you know, this looks cheap and that's cheap and it's 
not as good quality, blah, 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 whatever the case. A, and this is just my opinion, right? So people, if you have a problem with my opinion, I'm sorry. I mean, it's just that's why I do a podcast, so I can voice my opinions. But it's my opinion that when you show up to a place like ICAST, or any boat show or trade show for that matter, and you're wearing a manufacturer's, specific manufacturer's um, polo shirt, the last thing you should do is disrespect another manufacturer's product because it doesn't only look bad on you, but it also looks horrible on the manufacturer in which you're, you're representing. That to me is common sense. If you don't like a product, I get it, you, 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 and you want to share your thoughts and opinions with the world because for some reason your thoughts and opinions on a specific boat matter, um, then do so. Or you perceive that do anyone so, cares. Right, but do so, right. but do it in such a way to where you're not disrespecting the brand that you're trying to represent, and you're not disrespecting the company, per se, that made the product. First problem I have with the whole entire situation, if you've never sat in any of these manufacturers' kayaks or skiffs or boats or whatever, then you, your opinion is invalid because you don't know what the boat's capable of doing. You don't know what the kayak is capable of. You don't have, a, you don't have the first clue besides looking at something. And uh, let me tell you this. If you're, not a, B, if you're not an engineer and you don't design things for a living – I'm sorry, but your opinion doesn't hold any weight. Two things, right? You've never been in it, and you're not an engineer. Because just because you sell a product or just because you fish for a product or just because you like a product or just because you're a part of a, of a, of a, of a, of a group or a scene, the kayak fishing industry, whatever you want to call it, doesn't mean you're an expert. It means that you fish from a plastic boat. Unless you've had your hands involved in manufacturing before, or unless you, like, again, unless you're an engineer, because it doesn't matter if you're an aerospace engineer or if you're a, um, it doesn't make a difference. If any kind of an engineer can, right, any kind of an engineer, they all have the same mind, right? All engineers I've ever met in my entire life all have the same mind. And they can look at just about anything, and come up with something that they might would do a little different, but at least they would have something to follow that up with an explanation or whatever, or maybe an idea or a pitch or whatever to show that part of whatever it is. You know what I mean? You understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah. I'm just, it's aggravating and it's aggravating to see people literally bicker and argue over nothing. There is no form of fishing, sport, hobby, anything that I've ever seen like the kayak fishing industry where there are so many grown men that act like babies, that act like school kids arguing outside because somebody stole someone's lunch money. Like it's literally the most ridiculous thing I think I've ever seen in my entire life. And it's getting worse. There's a reason why a lot of the guys that were around when I first started are gone. Now they're boat fishing. Now they're doing something completely different. They don't. I'm a freaking circus. 
It's become a literal circus. Everybody wants to be somebody. Everybody, again, feels like their opinion, their, their uh, vision, their whatever matters. My opinion doesn't make a difference. My, what I think is cool and what I think is dumb doesn't make a difference. It's not going to sell more kayaks or less kayaks. I understand that. And I've been doing a radio show for nine years about kayak fishing. I've been doing a radio show longer than I would say 90% of the problem, ch- the problem children in kayak fishing have even been fishing, let alone kayak fishing. I'm not, I'm not trying to blow my head up. I'm just being like super real right now. It's kayak fishing. It's kayak fishing. It's, it's plastic boats. It's not, we're, listen, I, I just don't understand the, the, the pack mentality and the mindset. Like, I'll, 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 I'll throw this out there. You, there's still people out there that hate on Luther because of Bonafide. There's still people out there that say that whatever Luther put out with Bonafide is not, is not legit. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second. How many of you people talking smack own at least one thing Yak Attack, right? There's a guy that has literally – there's a guy that has literally uh, changed the way that people uh, put accessories on their boats, on their kayaks. Hell, even on their boats. Let me tell you, I'm I'm seriously considering putting a track system on – either side of my gunnels of the right water 12 so that I can, um, so that I can, uh, put a camera mount on the boat. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, and I mean, I could use somebody else's product. I'm sure I, I could find a, somebody else that makes a mount that I can use on the boat, but Luther's American made Luther's always been American made Luther employs a bunch of Americans. He's a good person. He's a he's a he's a pillar of the sport, and I, and even though I'm playing around in the micro skiff world, still want to support those people who I've made lifelong friendships with from within the industry. You know, you get a lot further too, by the way, to those of you that think you're going to become something one day in kayak fishing that run your mouth 24/7. You get a lot you get a lot further in this industry if you make friends with people. And if you make friends with people across the gamut, it doesn't make a difference who they represent. It doesn't make a difference who they fish for. It doesn't make a difference what manufacturer they own or which one they run or whose production manager they are or whatever, whatever, whatever. It's fishing and it's kayak fishing. Be friendly to everybody because you're supposed to be just in, 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 in nature. You're just supposed to be a good person naturally. Right? Like, we're not supposed to be a bunch of jerks running around, running our mouth 24-7, being internet keyboard cowboys trying to, you know, make you make yourself look cool by talking trash about a manufacturer. Like, at the end of the day, just take, if you take anything at all from my little rant, take this. Understand that you catch more bees with honey than you do with vinegar. Super simple concept. You treat everybody nice. 
you you play fair, <laughs> you don't act like a jerk, and people will start to want to kind of watch and see what you're doing and follow you follow along with you and maybe be interested in your YouTube channel that has 120 subscribers. I'm just saying, like, there's a better way to do things. And, uh, Down, Cujo. Yeah, yeah. Killer, kill. Dogs are acting crazy. Anyways. Um, but anyhow, there's, uh, to me, there's like, I don't know, there's a disconnect between the community aspect of kayak fishing now than, it, than the way that it used to be. When, when Chip Gibson, the godfather of kayak fishing radio, when he decided to do kayak fishing radio, he did it kind of more or less just for a reason to kind of get a couple of people that like to talk about kayak fishing together and, and chit-chat, the round table. It was literally just an open discussion. You can discuss anything you wanted to. Nobody cared if you fished from a Hobie. Nobody cared if you fished from a native. Nobody cared if you fished from uh, an emotion or um, any of them. Didn't matter. Any of them. Doesn't make a difference because nobody cared, you see, because nobody was trying to accomplish anything. No one was trying to make a name for themselves. It was just, I'm, and we all kind of understood that we fish in silly little plastic boats. Like you can't, you can't pretend that you're super, super cool if you're still fishing in a silly little plastic boat, like it's just, it's a plastic boat. Don't take yourself that seriously. You know what I mean? I'm not knocking mm-hmm. people that, that have fallen in love with kayak fishing and that this is their thing. And they're going to, they're going to kayak fish until they can't paddle or pedal or anything anymore. I'm not knocking anybody for any of those types of things. So that's just not my nature. I don't do that. I love to kayak fish. I will probably always, want to at some point get into one and paddle or paddle it around and fish. But it's just, it's just out of hand. It's just, honest to goodness, it's, it's, it's completely out of hand. And I think a lot of it, a lot of it honestly falls back on some of the manufacturers because some of the manufacturers have put people in place in pro staffs and team fishing teams and all this kind of thing. And there's no, there's no checks and balances. It's just, here's your discount or here's your free boat or here's your this, here's your that and go out there and produce pictures. And as long as you're producing pictures and as long as your local kayak shop is happy, um, then you're good with us. Right. But the no one's, no one's going around checking these guys, these got these men and women's Facebook pages and their Instagram accounts. And watching their live feeds and watching and, and, and listening to what they're saying and understand that, wait a minute, this guy is a, a true representative of our brand. If I see you wearing a, a specific brand shirt and you're running your mouth to get about another manufacturer while you're wearing that shirt or hat or with your kayak in the background, or even if I just know that you fish for somebody else and you're running your mouth, I'm going to call you on it. I'll call you on it. That's my, here, that's my warning from here on through. I promise you, if I see somebody on, on social media, especially in my news feed, 
cracking jokes or talking ill will about another manufacturer's products while you, I know for a fact that you represent somebody. I'll dime you out because you're ruining the sport. You're ruining the sport for the people that want to get into the sport because they, they, they follow people on social media and they see all this nonsense. And then they decide to themselves, wait, wait, whoa, whoa. This is, what, this is high school? Right? Like, what, what are we doing? We're, this is serious? Like, we're really going to, with the bickering? We're really going to, with the videos and the, and the trash talk and all this kind of thing? It's no secret. There's, specific, there's certain manufacturer fanboys that aren't maybe even on the team that if it's not that brand, then the rest of it's garbage. We've all seen it a million times, which I think is the most asinine thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Let me, let me tell you guys something real quick. So in the time that I fished, that I, was, that I considered myself like a hardcore kayak angler, um, I, I was blessed to be able to work with a, bun, a couple of different manufacturers, um, mainly Jackson and Hobie, right? And mm-hmm. uh, while I was with those two manufacturers, I gave those manufacturers 110% that I could with the time that because of my home situation with my kids and everything else, I, I didn't really have a whole lot of time to do sometimes. But the one thing that I never did was I never bashed anybody else's product. We're joined by Captain Alex Gritschke. All right, all right, all right. I'm just I'm just going on a, a real brief rant as sometimes I like to do, and this one is is specific to the kayak fishing community and the nonsense that I saw that took place at ICAST and after ICAST and since ICAST and just the garbage that that has popped up within the the sport. I know I'm sorry that I do this from time to time, but I feel like it needs to be addressed. And, um, you know, it's something that I think a lot of folks need to think about that, you know, you don't just represent yourself when you represent a manufacturer, you represent that manufacturer just as much as a sales rep. So I'll leave it at that. I, I won't drag it off anymore. Hope you don't mind my rant. If you want to talk smack, talk smack about the fish you catch, not what you fish out of. And if you can't talk smack about the fish you catch, then keep your mouth shut. Boom. Words of wisdom. I just dropped the mic. I dropped the mic after I did that. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be a good sound bite to have, just a thud. You know how many times we could have used that over the over the years, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and the thing about it, real okay, real quick. The thing about it is, is this: look, I'm not trying to ruffle anybody's feathers. I'm just being honest, right? Again, some of us have been around this sport for a, for a pretty damn long time, and we what we have seen transpire in the last i would say truly 4 years has been absolute has been nothing short of asinine and i get it i, I trust me when i tell you i kind of I, I i i do get it that there's people that i mean your life ambition is to try and become 
like the next Robert Field or, or Jamison Redding or um, Drew Gregory or Chad Hoover or whoever. I get it. The reality is if you're running around talking smack about any manufacturer, it could be a plastic company. It could be a fly rod company. It could be a, a, a spinning reel company. You're running around, running your mouth about any of that stuff. It's never going to happen for you because you don't have the disposition to be that person. There's ways of, of, of voicing your opinions about a, a specific product. Maybe in a, where, you, where you can offer up something better than it sucks. Why does it suck? Because the name on the side of the boat is Pelican. Like, are you serious? Like, that's how you gauge how something sucks? Because it says Pelican on the side of it? I bet you, I bet you right after ICAST, or as soon as that boat was shown to the world, I bet you that there were a thousand or more anglers that were stoked that they'd be able to get, even if it is an old generation, a Hobie-style pedal drive in a kayak for $1,400. Right? Because not everybody's got three grand laying around to go drop on a boat. So, you know, why don't you just back up, relax, take a deep breath, let the boat come out, let people actually pedal it, find out what they think about it, see if they don't fall apart or if they don't sink or whatever, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, give it an opportunity to either either float or sink, fail or, or, or rise above what everybody thought. You know, that's the difference. I, I've never understood that. Just like in voting, like in ICAST voting cracks me up too. It's like, how can you vote on the best fly rod if you'd never thrown it? All right? Like, how can you vote on the best inshore saltwater rod if you've never fished it? Like, you know what I mean? Those types of things that just, I don't put a whole lot of faith into a lot of that stuff. And, and unfortunately, in the, the age of social media, we tend to do just that. We put a lot of faith into written word from some guy who, I mean, listen, I saw, I saw a dude do a video on the, on the Pelican boat. Now, it, here's where I'll call shenanigans. You cannot sit there and tell me that that first-generation drive is going to be as efficient and as smooth as the newest one from Hobie. I'm not talking trash about Pelican because, listen, everybody knows it's a first-generation style of the drive system. They're not claiming that it's got reverse and that it's as efficient as the new drive system. No one ever said that. But I watched the guy at, at, at... They can't. The original patent for the original very first uh, gen of the, the Mirage Drive is what went out. They've subsequently patented upgrade since. So it'll be 20 years before anybody can mess with even where their technology is at today. So right. That's the way that works. And it, yeah, and, and the thing is, it's like we all knew it was going to happen eventually. Everybody that follows kayaking or has followed kayaking for any length of time knew that at some point somebody was going to find a way to produce something that was that had flippers that was similar to the Hobie drive. And, and it is what it is. Hobie knew it. It's not like Hobie was surprised. It's not like they ripped off Hobie. Once your patent's expired, then it's up for grabs. 
That's the way the world works. I mean, Thomas Edison held the patent on a light bulb, I'm sure. How many light bulb manufacturers are there now? It's literally not different. There's nothing different between those two scenarios. It's, they're both products. They both have a very specific function. <laughs> light bulbs turn on and illuminate areas. Little flipper things make a kayak move. Like that's, they, all do their, they all have their own job, and it is what it is. But that's just the way the world works. And, and again, sorry, ranting. Get off the soapbox, Chuck. I know we're going to talk about mullet, not the haircut, but the fish. Um, but just please, if you're listening to this and you just so happen to be one of those people likes to start trash and, or, or feels like you have to go above and beyond to, uh, to voice your opinion about certain things or whatever, then, then be prepared. If somebody comes back to you and challenges you on your, on your, on your idea or on your statement or any of that stuff, um, I'll challenge you, but I'll be respectful about it. I won't even call you out by name like I didn't do earlier. So there's that. Mullet. Alex. Yes. Mullet. They swim in the water. I've got about four dozen of them in a live wallet in the back of my house right now. What about them? They're awesome. Yeah, they catch fish. They're here, kind of. Yeah. Have you seen it? Have you seen any off the beach besides the hog legs? Have you seen any smaller mullet off the beach? No. No, we still got a few weeks to wait. Yeah. Middle to the end of August. Yeah. So I've seen quite. A, I saw quite a few in the river. Um, the last couple, well, last two trips in the river I've, I've taken, which were my first two trips in several months. Um, I saw quite a few in the river. It's it's weird. They're real shifty. Kind of here today, gone tomorrow situation. Mm-hmm. But some boat spots are holding real well. We had a weird, like, late spawn, too. We have a whole bunch of little pinky mullets when everything should be about five inches right now. There's some of those five inchers, but not a lot. And there's a ton of just pinkies, which were way late on the pinky mullet season. That's usually a month or two ago, they were at pinky size, and now they're supposed to be three to five, and they're not. I don't know. We had a late spawn or something funky. That's of the Maybe silvers. there's just not enough, not enough good algae for them to eat in worms. Might be the case because they they clean algae off the grass and yada yada yada. So that might be the case. Hmm. I'll tell you what though, get a bunch of them and keep them alive. They can catch a whole bunch of fish. No, I'm See, giving a uh, seminar. Got the other day were nice. Yeah, that I, that uh, seminar I picked up at Boaters Exchange is going to be on the mullet run. The up and coming mullet run. And looking forward to it. Um, you know, I, I like the mullet run for a number of different reasons, but mainly because, especially off the beaches, it's just, it can be absolute chaos. And uh, the action can be, go ahead, I'm sorry. I just said it's magic. <laughs> it really absolute is. Magic. Um, 
I've never. We, I've, a, I've, we, got, we got a little. Sorry, real quick. We got a little precursor of it on. I don't know. Someday that I fished, they all kind of run together at this point. But uh, we had a, a group of those hog legs that came around the the corner at the jetty, uh, just like they do in the mullet run. And every snook on that jetty decided that then, right now, was the time to eat. And they all went flying. It was, uh, it's if you've never seen that many fish, that much bait with active feeding fish in it, uh, it's a sight to behold, that's for sure. Yeah, and especially off the Cape, I mean, there's, uh, there's no shortage of different species that you're going to run into. Um, I always go back to that, that couple of days that we fished the mullet run. And I mean, literally we were, we we started off throwing plastics and hard baits and stuff. And uh, you get your plastic chewed up by any number of toothy critters and you'd have just a little tiny chunk left on a jig head and then you're still catching fish. I mean, as fast as you can go. But if that fish got down below the wad of bait in other game fish, the sharks ate it. Like, <laughs> the sharks were there waiting. Like, um, but it's super exciting to watch, you know, black tips and spinners come up into a, a wad of mullet and just wreck havoc and see the bluefish and jacks and everything else. So, you know, go, getting into the gear side of setting yourself up for the mullet run and being prepared for arguably the most exciting moment that you're probably ever going to find off of our coast in a kayak off the beach, um, being the mullet run, you know, what, what would your recommendations be as far as, uh, you know, just kind of all around decent gear to take with you and, and set up and that kind of thing? Well, I mean, you kind of got two scenarios you can play with, with the mullet run. Um, one is you can fish, more along the lines for snook and uh, just general, you know, jack blues and everything, redfish. Uh, and that's going to usually happen right in the surf zone. So it's a little tougher to do from the kayak until it calms down. And when it calms down, really actually great out of the kayak because you're a bit more mobile than even on foot on the beach. Uh, anybody who's run up and down a beach chasing fish knows that it'll get, it'll get to wearing on you after a while, especially your knees. Um, so in the kayak, you're a little more mobile, so you can chase schools of bait. Um, obviously, in the in the the tighter inside breakers and troughs, um, and then also that transfers over into Port Canaveral, um, anywhere like that. Uh, you're going to look at, at somewhere like somewhere in between a four thousand and maybe a six thousand reel. Uh, step it up to the six thousand when you're um, uh, class reel. Uh, step it up to the 6,000 when you're around structure, be it the jetty uh, or maybe down south uh, towards South Patrick and a little bit further south where you might be in the rocky areas, uh, just so you have the ability to move that fish a little better. Uh, and realistically, everything's eating a finger mullet. Uh, so you'll even have giant tarpon eat finger mullet. Um, and, and like I said, that's that's kind of your – right up in the surf zone. And I typically am going to be looking to use, use the actual finger mullet, not the larger hog leg, we say, or uh, the blacks. Or uh, You have the, the black mullet, striped mullet, which is one species, and then you have the silver mullet, which is a completely other species. 
almost all of your small finger mullet and the mullet run are going to be silvers. You will also have bigger schools of of big silver mullet that are in the maybe 8, 10 inch range. Silver mullet don't get bigger than about a foot. The black mullet or the striped mullet, they can get several pounds, 24, 26 inches. They can get massive. Uh, everybody's who's fished around here in the lagoons has seen the big giant black mullet jumping around, big lobbing, floppy jumps. Um, those guys right there, they tend to stay uh, just like the finger mullet do in a school of associated size. Uh, those ones tend to stay in, in those same schools uh, of, of mullet their size. So what you'll have is you'll have just ribbons of finger mullet running down the beach. Everything's headed south. Uh, and that's what the mullet run means. It's an actual migration of of the mullet species, both of them, southern, uh, on a southerly push. They're going south, down the beach. And they continuously come from north to south. And typically that break line, uh, in, or just inside, uh, is where the finger mullet are going to be. And a lot of times you can actually net your bait right there on the beach before you launch your kayak. Um, you'll also have the schools of large uh striped or black mullet or even the larger uh, silver mullets they'll typically run just outside the breakers to about 15 foot of water maybe even a little deeper uh, 20 foot of water uh, those right there you'll fish more traditionally like we do in the summertime with baits for tarpon where you're going to slow troll that bait large uh, circle hook in its nose uh, you're using big mullet dozen of them those schools typically push down the beach continuously. Don't stop. They might slow a little bit, mill a little bit, but they're going to keep pushing south down the beach. And what you can do is follow that school of bait, trolling your baits in and around the school. And those baits will have the really big tarpon in them. They'll have the big sharks. You can also get the kingfish in there. So it's not a bad idea to have some stinger rigs ready. And if you're getting cut off, uh, maybe throw a stinger rig on there. Uh, that uh, process of getting the bigger baits and then following probably the same school you cast netted the baits out of for miles down the beach until you're done fishing that school or you figure there's no tarpon, there's nothing you really want in there, then you break off and you come back, head to the north, and there's going to be another wave, hopefully, of those larger baits. And you can slow troll your bait uh, anywhere from about 10 uh, just outside the breaker, so 7 to 10 foot of water, all the way out to about 35 foot of water and have opportunities all the way through. So the mullet run, real quick, just to kind of get to the the basis of what it actually is, um, is, like I said, a migration of both mullet species down the southeastern coast. So... When the mullet run happens, it happens uh, due to the fact that it starts cooling down and fall starts hitting uh, the southeast U.S. At the very least, fronts and cold fronts have started pushing uh, across the southeast uh, and summer's breaking, basically. So what that does is it triggers a, a, a migratory response and all mullet, big and small, all the way up and down the eastern seaboard, and they push south for the winter so that they can get to more comfortable, um, warmer waters to be able to winter over. Because mullet, you know, they have a pretty good range of temperature, um, but they can still, if it gets too cold, they'll, they'll obviously die. Um, so all the mullets 
from the Carolinas, from Georgia, um, from North Florida, all the backwaters of the everywhere up there, all that water. All those mullets flood out of the backwaters, flood out of the bays, flood out onto the coast and onto the beach, and then continuously slide south. Um, it's very uh, weather dependent. Uh, a lot of times, uh, tropical storms can mess it up, can kind of jumble the whole thing up. Um, a lot of times, the right storms can kick it off and get it going. Uh, typically, like I said, sometime mid to last week of August, we'll see the first waves of bait pushing down. Uh, and it'll continuously progress, get more and more. And even though we're not having cold fronts here, as you come from August into September, um, you uh, above the Florida-Georgia line, really, as September, uh, as August turns into September, you start getting those, those cold pushes. And even though we don't have cold fronts here, it still triggers that migration and that response in the mullet to continuously start pushing down. So it's, uh, it's something that you can anywhere along the coast take advantage of. Uh, anywhere from uh, roughly Stewart South uh, is really awesome areas to fish when it's real thick as, a, as the mullet head down south. Uh, because the water cleans up a lot, it's a lot more visual than it is here typically because uh, up on the Space Coast, the water's typically a little bit dirtier. Um, but, and you can, if it dries up here, say your mullet were crazy for two weeks here, and you go out and there's no mullet anywhere, and you have one more day to fish, you could actually drive south a couple hours or a little bit further and probably come across the same schools of mullet that were working their way down, um, plus more, uh, and fish those fish as they move south. Typically, we'll get waves of bait, and it'll carry on uh, all the way through September, um, sometimes into October, uh, and if we're really lucky, uh, even a little bit later than that. But these days, seems to be the, the last week of August all the way through uh, September are the prime weeks. So that's about five weeks that you get a really prime time uh, to go out and try to get into that bite and check out the, the mullet run. So, yeah. For the big fish, obviously, you use carbon gear. 8,000 uh, spinners or conventionals in the 20-pound class, 20 to 30-pound class. Live beat. There you go. You know, it's really fun to plug, too. Throw plugs from the yeah. beach. <laughs> I love that, man. It's so much fun. We had those, those. There were some of those. There's just, there's always mullet kind of moving around doing their thing. They're mullet. That's what they do. Um, and there's a, there's ocean run mullet. They kind of bounce around from the tip of the cape and, and here and there. Um, and that's what had moved in uh, when we fished those a few days ago. Uh, when we got, when they came around the corner, they all of the snook lit up. I cast netted 200 pounds of them and kept four. Actually, we kept six. <laughs> so out of 200 pounds, I actually kept six of the stupid bait. Almost killed myself because we couldn't get the net out of the water. Um, but that school pushed its way into the port. And once it got off the jetty, there was really no fish in it. We took those mullet, we cast netted out of the school, went right back to the jetty, 
and fed the fed one of those foot long mullet to a snook right there on the jetty and had obviously been there when they passed through and went ham just with all the rest of them. Uh, he might not have gotten his food or maybe he was a little glutton and he wanted to get another one. Um, but that that's kind of the way that worked out. And as we uh, came out, we actually fished the beats kind of north along uh, the Cape there. Uh, and there was not a bunch, but several more packs of those mullet kind of just milling around doing their thing. Nothing special, not moving anywhere really. Um, and, uh, and we were actually throwing a big, uh, a big popper, a real big popper on an 8,000 spinner. And, um, it got smoked by like a handful of good sharks. It was pretty bad. It, none of them hooked up, thankfully, because I don't know how we got a plug out of a shark's face, but cause I wouldn't, I don't think we would have wanted to give up $30 popper to a shark, but it was, um, seeing, um, you know, six, seven foot sharks just absolutely explode on top water is, is pretty much a sight to see for sure. And all of our, all the usual suspects that moved by as summer progressed. And as we, after we went through spring and, and pushed through summer, you know, your big tarpon, your cobia, your kingfish, all these fish, uh, use this as a last chance. The tarpon actually follow the mullet run out. They're gone. After the mullet runs over, have a really hard time finding any concentrations of tarpon. You will get a slow pick here and there. You might jump a fish here and there. Uh, you know, some areas maybe where some bait is. If it doesn't get cold and the water temperatures don't drop, they'll hang out around the bait a little bit. But for the most part, those tarpon that have pushed, they basically push up to South Carolina, North Carolina um, in the summer, follow that push, that migration of of baits as they slide south and uh it's it's your last chance of the year to put a tarpon in the air off the beach typically and um it's one of the best chances of the year to do it too um it definitely might be an opportunity for us to make up a little bit for what the summer lacked in tarpon fishing because it lasts I'm I'm really kind of curious as, as to as to something. Why have you never written a book? No, buy my posters. I'm serious, dude. You know, I don't know. I probably could do a book. It would be uh, an interesting situation. I just observe. I mean, man. I, I observe. But the thing, but the thing about I mean, here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I mean. Alex, me and you have been fishing together for quite a number of years now, and there's very few people, James is included in this group, there's very few people who I, I fish with that I, just, I, I almost would just rather just listen to you talk about what you see and where we should go and why, why we should go there and because you've got a you've got a different level of understanding of what these game fish are doing, when they're doing it, why they're doing it, than honestly just about anybody who's ever written a book on any of the topics. Because I've I've read a lot of books um, and a lot of publications that were done by people that were have been considered experts or whatever in their fields. And, dude, I just, I don't know, man. You you really should do that. 
you could self-publish it too on Amazon and be done with it. You don't have to like mess with publishers and stuff. You can just do it yourself. You should you should seriously consider that. Dude, you just don't find that. You, you just don't find you don't find people with real life knowledge in 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 the depth that you have it. And it's and I, I always I, I always give you always. Well, no, I I get that, I get that, but 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 it's like the way you deliver it in in whatever, man. I'm not trying to toot your horn. I always do. I always give you mad props because I just you know you're you're one of the best that at, at what you do that I know. And um, but I think that there's a lot of people, man, that might would that might would jump on board, pick up a copy of your self-published. You should do self-published like small chapter books, like maybe three or four chapters long on a specific topic and do it on Amazon. Yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, like you, you can't, you can't buy that kind of knowledge uh, unless it's in book form. And most of the time from what I've read in a lot of fishing books, a lot of it's just crap to fill pages, but. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of what I know is from, from reading, but. Thankfully, I got to grow up with a constant um, subscription to uh, Florida Sportsman back when it was about an inch and a half thick and actually with tons of articles from really, really interesting people. Um, yeah. So I'm just, I've just always been, those, those, been a sponge. Those were the good days. Yeah, I kind of miss those days of Florida Sportsman. Back when ads were few and far between, and and good content was easy to come by. Mhm. Mhm. Anyhow, um, it's been a while. So, thanks for the, so back to yeah, the monitor no, sitting in in their jacuzzi for the last night of their lives. I'm gonna go feed them to some snook tomorrow. We got some mud minnows too, some zebra striped fat bellies, and some bull minnows. I heard there been some flounder around. Mm-hmm. There has been some flounder around. Bunch of snappers. Hmm. Snow fishing, great. We got a nice 31, 31 and a half inch fish today, just in slot. That was on artificial. Really? So, yeah. Yeah, on one hmm. of them voodoo shrimps or something like that. Actually, I think it was the voodoo shrimp. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. trick. What about the pictures of the tarpon and the baby tarpon out of those kayaks? Yeah, there's a lot of those right now. Oh, yeah. There's some good and fish, those are good. I was going to say, dude, you've been catching some studly baby tarpon. I mean, those are, those are, those are I mean, still obviously juveniles, but still, those are some good-sized tarpon for, for the river. Yeah, if they're under fifty pounds, they're a juvenile. But no, we we jumped one too last week or the week before. I don't even remember now. Like I said, every day is running together. Um, we jumped one that it was every bit of forty five. It might have gone fifty pounds. That thing's back was wide. It came out of the water like it was. Uh, it was not happy that it had a hook in its mouth. And actually, we fought it for a good long time. Um, it got deep. It actually rolled once while we were fighting it. You know when you're fighting a juvenile tarpon and it rolls. Like it legit has put, gone down deep and comes up and takes a roll and goes back at it. 
like a real tarpon does. Uh, you know you got a good one on. Um, but uh, it ended up getting behind behind the guy, uh, and I think it realized that he was in a weakened position, kind of stretched out behind him. He didn't get his boat turned around quite quick enough uh, to get that, that fish centered back up in front of him. Took a jump and on that tight line, and that was it. You know, that was a big fish, very big fish. We ended up getting uh, we ended up getting one that was probably about 35, a bunch of them in that 15 pound range, maybe 20 pound range, and uh, and a whole mess of little guys. You know, the little guys are kind of all over the place, but it's uh, it's what I've done for a very long time, so it's hard to beat for summertime fun. For sure, that's the uh. That's, well, that was the beauty of growing up there on Pine Island. I mean, that's just what we did all summer long with tarpon fish. I wish that place had never never been messed with. The ditch system would never would have never been messed with. I mean, it was just it was it was yeah, crazy but you know back what? in the day. This is this is where we actually did something good and I don't think anybody really realizes it. Um, but what they did diverting that, that ditch and putting it into the lakes, um, as much as it weirded out the tarpon fishing and the tarpon fishing is still great out there. Don't get me wrong. It yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah. No, no, out there it's but, great. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, what I've seen when I was a kid out there, when that water flowed straight down that ditch, the whole ditch, all of all of the ditch. Um, now where you see maybe one or two little tarpon rolls if you go up and down the ditch, that used to be packs of 15, 20, 30 fish just cruising up and down different sections of ditches. Um, but, uh, you know, it, that diversion of the ditch into the lakes and then subsequently letting it trickle back out into the lagoon um, is actually how it should be. And it's it, it was intended to clean that water coming out of that ditch, which was full yeah. of bad agriculture waste. You know, and it, it did what it was intended to do, and it does it to this day. Um, and arguably, if everything else wasn't going sideways with the lagoon, uh, you know, that whole area of the flats behind there, and, and arguably it is. Uh, it's pretty, pretty, still holding on pretty good, um, or at least trying to. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it, 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 to me, it had pros and cons. The, the the new adjustment that they made, putting the water into the into the lakes, but um, you know, obviously, the looking at the bigger picture, I'd much rather have a a little bit more healthy of a healthy of a estuary system than worrying about having packs of thirty or forty tarpon cruising down a ditch. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean it was so, you know. Go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say so like to kind of piggyback on what you were saying about uh or the way you describe the mullet run and, and your techniques and stuff, the only thing I have for you guys on conventional gear um, when it comes to the mullet run is in the intercoastal, uh, I've got two baits. If it's not a live bait, I, 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 so two artificial baits. Um, style, hard bait. Um, 
I I personally like the uh, uh, the K4s, um, which are handcrafted uh, wood plugs. Um, they just they catch fish. They work really well. I've never. I mean, I've I've always. If, if given the opportunity to fish a plastic plug versus a wooden plug, I'll, I'll grab a wood plug nine times out of ten. Just because I, 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 there's something about it, I don't know. I think when the fish hit it um, and they miss it or they get it and they, and they don't get the hook, they want to come back and smack it again, I think it has just enough give to where it kind of feels somewhat lifelike. Like the, um, what was it, the Rapala Twitch and Wrap? Was it the Twitch and Wrap? that's made of balsa. Um, one of them. One of their, one of their baits. Yeah. Um, just old school trout. I'd have, yeah. Well, I mean, I'd have trout just smack them things over and over and over again and come back and then you can see like the fang impressions and the, and the teeth impressions from a good sized trout in the wood itself. And then uh, the other one, obviously Slayer Inc. Anything like, but the SST XL, um, in molting color will all, and the SST standard in molting color will always be my go-to colors. Um, personally, just because I have a lot of confidence in them, but, um, you know, bounty hunter and the silver mullet and, um, Venice glow, Venice glow. Thank you. Uh, all of those colors are just great fish catching colors. And, you know, you want to kind of try and match the hatch as much as possible. And like Alex said, if you're fishing in and around areas where you're fish where your mullet are two to three inches or, or four to five inches, try and match that same size ish and uh, never, ever, ever leave a wad of mullet to go try and find or to go try to sight fish fish. Like I've learned that lesson way long ago when I was in high school, way in the flat. If you find a, a big wad of row mullet, or a big wad of finger mullet, just, just as Alex said, just kind of shadow them and follow them because those predatory fish are going to take advantage of any opportunity they get to feed. And if the mullet are coming through in waves and they're not coming through in a consistent, you know, march down a flat, it, it would behoove you to follow that pack of mullet around and just line cast into that school of fish. And, um, you know, you'll pull redfish and snook and everything out of them. You don't necessarily have to fish the mangroves this time of year to um, to find snook because they will hang out outside the mangrove line, especially in the mullet or marching down the marching down the flat. But over on the fly side of things, um, this is an exciting time of year, or we're getting ready to get into an exciting time of year for those of you who have never thrown a fly into the surf um, during the mullet run when the, when the finger mullet are getting pressed against the beach by jacks and Spanish and ladyfish and sharks and everything else. Um, it is a fun time to just take a, take a, you know, I would say a heavy nine weight, light 10 weight ish kind of a rod and walk the beach and just sling big clousers or any kind of bait fish patterns really into the, into the surf and, you never know what you're going to hook. For one cast, you can catch a you can catch a uh, a decent sized ladyfish, or maybe a, a decent blue or big jack, and the next cast could be an 80 pound tarpon. And so, um, it's just exciting. It's it's fun. It's a great way to practice too, because you're not you don't have to necessarily worry so much about uh, the way the line lays in the water or any of those types of things that you normally would on the flats. You got to 
uh, surface slap or whatever. Um, but if you can punch cast into an onshore breeze and kind of get used to doing that, then when you're fishing behind an island somewhere, you're fishing on a protected shoreline somewhere, um, your casting is going to just be that much better. Because you're so, you know, you, you're, you're accustomed to having to throw into wind. So it does, definitely makes a, a, a bit of a difference. And I, I personally and don't it, mind it, throwing a floating guide. As I say, an intermediate line helps with everything about that. Throwing into the wind, yeah. getting your line below the surf, keeping contact with your fly, it really helps. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, on a slick, calm day, I don't, I don't typically mind throwing even a floating line on a slick, calm day, which we get some of those sometimes this time of year. But when you do have a little bit of texture to it, for sure, an intermediate line is super nice because it gets you down below and uh, and does keep you well in contact with your fly because that is a problem with anything other than that intermediate line, keeping your your fly uh, in or keeping you in contact with it so you know when you get that strike because otherwise, you know, fish could be doing circles around your fly and, eat, and have eaten it and you might not even feel it with a floating line. But, uh, you know, it's very simplistic. I mean, anything that looks bait fishy thrown in and around bait fish if there's predators there, they're going to eat it. Um, jumping into the tarpon thing real quick, uh, I, I love catching tarpon on fly rods, and I think that um, they tend to become a little bit even more aggressive this time of year um, than maybe even in the fall or, or in early spring uh, when they start to show up, um, which is fun because then they get stupid. When tarpon get super aggressive, they get dumb, and they'll like they'll literally – take a swipe at just about anything you put in front of them. Uh, they might not eat it. They'll come up and inspect it and do the big roll and the whole thing. But there are times where you find them when they're lit up and they're just, they'll fire on anything. And uh, a decently, a decently casted fly in a, in a general, you know, area in which you see tarpon rolling will almost always result at some point in a strike. Um, and, you know, I, I will say this. We are in the summertime. Today's heat index is like 105. I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't go out throwing a, a five or six weight this time of year for tarpon just because I don't want to kill the damn things. Same thing with redfish. Bump it up to like an eight weight at least. This way here you can put some serious pressure on the fish and try and whoop them and, uh, you know, not, not wear them out to the point of complete and utter exhaustion. We don't have the problems with the sharks typically uh, inshore like they do in other places. So that's not really the point of having to bump up the size of your rod. It's more or less just trying to whoop fish in that hot water so that you don't cause it any more undue stress than we already do to them. So there's that. That's all I got, man. That's my, my, see, that's the difference. You, you, just, you just, like, filled everybody's mind with all this excellent information and I come in behind you like oh, I got like this is what I got <laughs> here here you go here's a little tidbit you know here go eat go see if that works for you tell any man and you're on your downtime you need to write books knowledge but there's another knowledge. thing there's another thing Captain Alex told me, taught me about mullet schools of mullet that we didn't talk about we talked about the fish attacking the mullet 
Last time I fished with Alex, he said, you see this mullet over there? There was three or four mullet. He said, there's a redfish under there. And I was like, and it was shallow, too. I was like, hmm, I don't see a redfish. I made a bad cast. Poop, little redfish snuck out from under the mullet. I guess he was trailing and looking for something to eat. Like, how do you know that, Alex? Yeah. <laughs> that's what or they he do. He up under there, just like Alex said. Alex called it. That's, they're up there, that's what I guess, they do. You know, mullet pushing, yeah, mullet pushing stuff, and they're looking for scraps. Well, we had really that. nice grass. Yeah, well, we had really nice grass in the river. There was a spot that I would go to on my way to work when I worked at Hamlet Fishing Supply in in Port Canaveral, and I took the kayak in the back of the truck. I could drop it in the water after dropping the kids off, and I knew that I had, you know, say forty five minutes to fish. When the mullet are moving down that particular flat, and you can see row mullet from 528, I'll just say it's 528, um, where you can see mullet from the bridge, like on the surface, looking a little nervous, but not like completely freaking out, you know for a fact there's something in them. Like, mullet will tell you. They'll let you know. All right, well, we don't really feel super comfortable right now, but I guess it's going to be okay because he hasn't eaten any of us yet. And um, redfish especially will follow those schools of mullet like puppy dogs, and might, and especially the row mullet. I mean, a, a 25-inch redfish may take a swipe at a foot-long mullet. I don't think he's going to get it down his gullet, but he may think about it. But then again, a 25-inch redfish could slide in behind a whole big school of row mullet when there's grass around, and those mullet are down there feeding on that algae that's on the grass. And the mullet are spooking shrimp and small crabs and all kinds of things up out of uh, up out of that grass. And uh, yeah, it's just easy pickings. It's easy pickings. So yeah, for sure, that's a good. It's a mm-hmm. good good point. Good. Point. Alex taught me that. Yeah. Knowledge. Knowledge. Alex has taught me a lot. Taught me a lot. You taught me a lot. I mean, every, everybody I get a chance to fish with, I I try to I try to get something from just about everybody I fish with as far as something, maybe a new technique or a new way to look at things or whatever like that. But that's the one thing that's always been consistent with fishing with with you, Alex, is that uh, I always come away feeling like, huh, I'm learning something new today. I like that, you know. So good stuff. Um, Speaking of learning something new, okay, so I'm going to take a second because I just feel like it to tell you guys a little something about this right water 12 situation. Um, I really want to get you back into that boat, Alex, now that we've deck on it. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun, folks. It's, it's, the boat came out of the desire to be able to launch a small skiff virtually anywhere we wanted to. Um, sounds familiar, right? That's why most of us got into kayak fishing. And um, it will fit between the wheel wells of a full-size pickup truck very easily. Two people can lift this boat out of the back of a truck and set it down and slide it into the water, no problem. Um, but, you know, to see this thing come together and to and to, you know, be a part of it has been honestly the most exciting thing that I've been a part of in, in the world of fishing in a long, long time. Um, 
I kind of lost my passion for fishing a little bit for a while there because of the things that our estuaries are going through and just having somewhat burnout on it a little bit too, because I just kind of got bored and whatever it has, it has not only brought my passion back to full sail, but it's, it's actually got me kind of a little bit more amped than that. And I, I like to equate it to the first time I got in a kayak and paddled a kayak around and caught fish out of a kayak. The feeling I got then is the feeling I have now about this thing. And, you know, I hope you guys are following along. Um, you guys ever have any questions about it or whatever, I've been inundated the last, like, about a week and a half about questions about the boat, horsepower rating, and all this kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I just appreciate the, the kind remarks and the well wishes and stuff that I've received from folks who have been following along with the project, and uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll have the demo done. It's a cool little boat. Thanks. We'll have the... We should have the demo done by Friday. All intents and purposes. We just we're just waiting on a motor, and uh, we're I'm gonna put a I'm gonna put a 15. I know I spoke about the boat once before in the show, and I said I wanted to go a 99, but I'm just gonna put a 15 on it. Virtually the same thing. Um, the uh, as far as weight's concerned, there's not a whole lot of difference there. With two grown anglers in it, it'll run mid-20s with a 15 on it. So I'm pretty happy with that. I don't think it needs to go any faster than that. Um, no. We've changed a few things. We've made a few adjustments here and there um, that we didn't really talk about. And, and another reason why it's taken us a little bit longer to to put the finished product out there, we, we really wanted to kind of dial it in as much as we possibly could before like the big release, which will be coming here very soon. Um, I've got a seminar, coincidentally, the same day that Alex is doing his at Boaters Exchange. Um, I've got one up at Flagler County Sport Fishing Club. Um, so if anybody wants to take a peek at the uh, Rightwater 12, uh, the demo boat, it will be with me up there at Flagler County Sport Fishing Club. So hopefully those guys will like it. My plan is to carry it inside and set it down on the on the stage. So, not by myself. I'm gonna have somebody help me. But, um, yeah, that should that should turn some heads, I would think. But, uh, yeah, it's it's been a fun project. I think that's all. That's pretty much all I got tonight. I just wanted to talk about the mullet run. I wanted to go on a rant for a few minutes because it's been a while, and I wanted to throw that out there about the Rightwater Twelve. We're going fishing. Yes, James we are. We're gonna go we're going and to uh, we're going we're going to the place Alex said he couldn't go to. I don't think Alex. I don't remember Alex ever saying he couldn't go. Oh, I talked to him about it one time. He said he couldn't go there because he's afraid he wouldn't come back. Oh yes. We're going to Louisiana. Oh, last time out. We're going to go to Louisiana. We're going to see if we can't find a, a dumb red fisher or a few to throw some flies at. Pretty excited about that. But we will not be kayak fishing. But we will be talking about the trip when we get back. That's for sure. 
we'll Alex, be eating you got anything copious else, amounts of good food. Yeah, I like I like. I've already tried to make kind of a plan as to a few things I'd like to try and eat while I'm there. We only have a day, so <laughs> it's like it's like uh, it's actually probably one of the coolest trips that that I think I I I will ever have taken for sure. Being that it's it's kind of like fly in, jump on a boat, fish, then do whatever, wake up the next morning, fish, then jump on a plane and come home. So that's pretty awesome. Looking forward to it for sure. It's always a good time hanging out with you, my friend. It shall be wonderful. Yeah. Alex, you got anything else to add, buddy? No, man, just uh, sitting here trying to put a new live well pump together. (laughs) Sweet. (laughs) Such is life, man. Never ends. That that doesn't sound fun at all. I like the mullet jacuzzi. What is the mullet Uh, jacuzzi? Well, that's the bubbler that I have at the house. That's the house bubbler. Um, But I actually just invested in a 12-volt air pump, like a power bubbler is what it's called. Uh, It puts out a pretty good uh, roll roll of bubbles. Um, And I'm fitting it with a nice little 12-volt battery and a dry box. Uh, so that I have a capable and long-lasting option for my bait. It's so. pretty awesome, dude. Always doing the, uh, always going the extra mile for the client. That's why you're the one of the best at it, man. Yeah, happy baits make for happy fish, make for happy clients. So we tend to go that route. If someone wants to get a hold of you, man, for a charter, how do they do it, of course? Just give me a shout at 321-480-3255 or hit me up at localinescharters.com. There you go. Yeah. Folks, and if you uh, if you just jumped into this the show recently and you didn't get a chance to hear uh, Captain Alex's uh, dissertation on the mullet run, I highly recommend that you download this podcast and listen to it again at work or mowing the lawn or whatever. Take notes. It's a lot of good information there. And, uh, you know, we pre- I appreciate you always being involved with the show and, and everything else you do, buddy. You're a good person. Well, thank you, buddy. Buddy. Thank you, buddy. Yeah. Buddy. Buddy. Right, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. So, uh, <laughs> James, um, I, 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 yeah. Well, what, what all you've taken with you? You said you got two nine weights. Are you taking two nine weights, or, or what, what's your plan? <clears throat> two nines, two nines and a ten. Remember the the guy we're fishing with on Saturday said bring a ten. Yeah. And then um, two nines. Since you don't have a nine, I was gonna bring two nines. Okay. That's about it. I thought about bringing like a seven or eight, but both guys were fishing with like nine weight. So yeah. same thing. They don't want to stress I'll the fish br- out. They want to get them in quick. Yeah. So, I'll bring a 10 as well just to have it. Um, yeah. Bring your I 10. guess that's really all. I guess I'll just bring a 10, 10 and, and a bunch of flies. flies. Yep. Should be Make good. Make sure you bring some flies that I can steal. Oh, I'll have, not I'll have some extra you're up on the deck casting. 
Yeah, when you're on the deck, uh, I'm going to pull I'll... for your fly box. <laughs> well, somebody decided to help themselves to my to both of my dry bags, my big yellow dry bag and my brand new dry bag backpack that I just purchased. So that sucks. Apparently I left the truck door unlocked in my truck in my driveway or something at some point and they're gone. Luckily enough for me, there was nothing in either one of them. So, um, they were both empty. I just emptied them, uh, like probably a week or two prior to them being stolen from my truck. But, um, yeah, I've got one, two, three. I've got four. See, the only thing that sucks is I've got like four fly boxes right now, slap full of redfish and black drum flies, but they're all like, you know, Florida type stuff, all tans and brown, tan. You gotta have. So, well, um, browns are good over there, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna buy a purple and a chartreuse. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm gonna kind of focus heavy on that. I, I spoke to a few different people that. Kind of gave me the inside Iggy as to what works real well over there. So, looking forward to it. Uh, appreciate it as always. Um, it's going to be a fun adventure. And then, uh, what else? There's something else. Anything else? I can't think of anything else right now. Oh, uh, big shout out to RCI Optics, uh, Troy and Tony. Um, again, this year, putting on the Invitational Tournament. Um, Really looking forward to it. They've been they've been uh, updating everybody with what's going on with the raffles and all this kind of stuff. And uh, they put on an amazing show last year with the tournament. And uh, looking forward to fishing it again with Alex. And hopefully this year we can find that snook and take home top prize. That would be great. Because we were literally a snook out of wind in that thing. So, um We'll have a good time either way, but I would like to win. It'll be fun. So thank you guys, though. Thank you so much to RCI Optics for uh, for putting on the event. They do that out of their own budget, so just their way of giving back and saying thanks to those who support them, um, which is really cool. It's nice to be a part of a company like that. And, uh, yeah, there you go. That's it. All right. Guys, appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns about the show, uh, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, uh, feel free to get a hold of either myself or Captain Alex and let us know. If you have questions, feel free to ask either on our Facebook page um, or on our personal pages. And, uh, again, if you want to go on a charter with Captain Alex, you can get a hold of him at 321-480-3255 or localalliancecharters.com. And we will talk to you next week. And there's my button. Good night.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.